there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 23rd, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. Uh, roughly 24 hours after we sat together at Lou Malnati's in Chicago and watched Arizona State upset top-ranked Kansas while I tried to eat an entire pie but couldn't finish it. Meantime, Norlander killed his entire pie and then most of his second pie like a machine so uh let's start with a big f you to metabolism norlander eats like a maniac he's tall and thin i actually try to watch what i eat i'm totally disgusting i was so jealous watching you eat last night you just eat whatever you want doesn't seem to matter i was so disappointed watching you eat now let's be real here let's let's be transparent i did not order two deep dish pizzas i our uh, our friend Brian Hamilton of the Athletic recommended I give the thin crust at Malnati's a chance. I did. The deep dish is much much better. To everyone who has an issue with calling this pizza, go take a walk. I could not care less about people that are trying to die on this hill of of calling Chicago deep dish pizza anything but pizza. Whatever, it's awesome. I still like Pequod's best, but Malnati's was a great time. And you did not even finish. I don't know what but- that was about. And uh, but it was it was a good time in Chicago. I got I got a couple other things I'll get to you on later in this podcast, Parish. But I I for as much uh, awe as you might have with me, one I was starving. Two, I couldn't believe that you didn't finish. And listeners are probably well aware of the fact. You know, I picked two out of th- I picked two out of three underdogs straight up, and they and they and they pulled it off. So. I mean, I'll leave it I'll leave it to you at that point. But when we when we last spoke. You had Kansas winning, no. You had Carolina winning, no. And I ridiculously picked the Pac-12 team to win. So that was my mistake, and I own that completely. So um, first thing on the pizza argument, there are people who like to have this argument, like whether deep dish pizza is pizza, and they insist that it's not. Therefore, New York pizza must be best. If you want to say New York pizza is the best, fine with me. If you want to say Chicago pizza isn't pizza, like, whatever. I, I'm not even interested in the argument. I, I just know this. If you put both things on a table in front of me and tell me I can have one or the other, I'm taking the deep dish every single time. And I don't care how you frame it or what you call it. It's just good. Like, you could call it crap. You could be like, hey, Parrish, would you like some deep dish crap? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I'll take that if it comes from Pequod's or Lumanati's or wherever. So, like, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't even entertain the debate. I just know that this it tastes good. Did that, your pizza taste good last night? Oh, it was. It was no. It was. It was tremendous, um, as always. And it was just. It was awesome to uh, to get to Chicago, as we talked about. Just a level, elite level, top tier American city. Love getting a chance to get out there. It was great to see you. And uh, we got some interesting basketball games. Do you want to get to what we saw, or do you want to start with the fact that Kansas? You know, my preseason number one team finally took a loss, as I expect them to do. Where do you want to launch here, GP? Let's start there, because we did not, after the CBS Sports Classic was done, just call it a night. I mean, we kind of did. We went to Luminati's, and we ordered drinks, and we ate pizza, uh, or whatever you want to call it. But we did sit at the table. I got the laptop out, and we watched uh, Arizona State-Kansas at our table, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Arizona State gives Kansas its first loss of the season. You predicted it would happen, so shouts to you, shouts to Bobby Hurley, and shouts to Ike Diagu. And when I woke up on a Sunday morning, uh, what I realized, because you and I had this conversation last night uh, about who should be number one, and I don't even know if you looked at the top twenty-five and one today, but I did not end up doing what yeah, I told no. you. Yeah, no. Okay, so we're no, we're. I'm calling you out right now. Okay, here yeah. I, I'm taking listeners behind behind the scenes because. 
Parrish labors over this. He's dreading having to do the top 25 and one now that Kansas has lost because it creates a dilemma, throws a few different ideas off me. And, you know, it's his rankings. Like, you know, I'm always intrigued by them, but, but ultimately, like, if he's going to put one team one over another, like, it, it doesn't really much affect my life, whatever. But you go into this whole thing about, like, how could I possibly validate putting Tennessee number one? I think it's going to be have to be Michigan. I bring up the fact that you've got undefeated teams in front of Michigan already. How could you possibly do that? Meanwhile, Duke ranks and rates as the number one team in essentially almost every metric that's out there. So it's a total quagmire. But when we left each other in that chilly night when you wouldn't even walk 0.3 miles to our hotel in 39-degree weather because you did not bring a winter jacket, and so we called a freaking Lyft driver to drive us three blocks, I was under the impression I'd wake up on Sunday you would have Michigan number one, Tennessee still slotted at two. It's not even that. You have Tennessee one, and Michigan is still five. What the hell happened? Okay, here's what happened. So I got back to the hotel, and I told you I thought I'd go straight to sleep because I, I was on like three hours, four hours sleep. I woke up in Na- I went to bed in Nashville the night before. Got up at 4 a.m., flew Nashville to Atlanta, Atlanta to Chicago, straight to the CBS Sports Classic. I was exhausted. I thought as soon as I got back to my hotel last night, I would go straight to sleep. I didn't. I ended up pulling up my computer, and I was just looking at it, and I was running through all of the options. And I said, okay, one thing I could do here is just say, once the preseason number one from the AP poll loses, that's Kansas, I'm just going to, because I've done this kind of thing before, I'm just going to take a fresh look at everything. Because my rankings are still somewhat reliant on preseason rankings. Like when people ask me, why is undefeated Nevada above undefeated Michigan? It's because undefeated Nevada started above above undefeated Michigan. Why is undefeated Nevada above undefeated Virginia? Same reason. Because they started and sort of, I don't have any uh, hard and fast rule because I think those will get you in trouble. But one thing I do subscribe to is that I'm going to assume you are what you are until you show me you're not, and that works both ways. I'm going to assume you're bad until you prove you're not bad. I'm going to assume you're good if I thought you were good until you prove you're not good. And so Nevada's done nothing to prove that it's not better than Michigan and Virginia. Maybe it hasn't played the same schedule Michigan and Virginia's played, but they haven't taken a loss. They've handled every game on their schedule. They've gone on the road, I think, six times, and I don't mean just like neutral courts. they played, I believe, true road games, or it might just be – Road and neutral. I, they've been away from Reno six times, got six wins. So um, that's why Nevada's there and, and Virginia's where it's at, Michigan's where it's at. But I thought, okay, so Kansas takes its first loss. Maybe now's the time, a couple days before Christmas, where you go, okay, I'm going to just take a fresh look and I'm going to try to figure out who's got the best resume at this moment. And then I'll just write about it and I'll explain it. And people can have an issue with it, but at least I'll explain it. And I think that would have led me probably to, probably to Michigan being number one. But then I knew I was, was going to get all of these big questions. Like, how does Michigan just jump frog, you just leapfrog everybody to get the number one? So I started looking at Tennessee again. Because Tennessee was the natural successor to Kansas, given that Tennessee has been number two in the top 25 and one since the morning after they beat Gonzaga on that neutral court. And I started looking at Tennessee, and I was like, okay, I think I can rationalize this. I think I can move Tennessee to number one and and, and make it make sense. So here's what I came up with. I found that there's only one team in the country that checks all four of these boxes. And obviously, I created the boxes in a way that maybe makes it where only one team in the country checks these boxes. But it's still true. Mm-hmm. The only team that has done what I'm about to tell you is Tennessee. 
Tennessee's the only one, and it's not just that's done one of these things, but has done all four of these things. They're the only school that has a win over a school that's also in the top 10 of the current top 25 and one. That's their win over number seven, Gonzaga. They've also got zero losses to teams ranked outside of the top 10. And that's because their only loss is an OT loss to number six, Kansas. They got zero losses in regulation because their only loss came in overtime. And they have nothing but double-digit victories over unranked teams, which is something I didn't realize until I started looking at it last night. They've played 11 games. They're 10-1. and one. The one loss is single-digit overtime loss to Kansas. The big win is the Gonzaga win. The other nine games are against, quote-unquote, unranked opponents, and they've beaten everyone by double digits. No other team in the country has done all four of those things. Therefore, Tennessee is number one. Shouts to Rocky Top. You buying it? Uh, convincing argument, but let me just uh, smack the ball back your way. Do you think Tennessee is the best team in college basketball right now? Well, here's the thing. I don't think they probably have the best resume. I think they, they check all the boxes I just explained. But certainly there are schools out there that have bigger wins. They've got, they might have the biggest win, or either Gonzaga's got the biggest win over Duke. But there, there are teams that have a, 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 a more good wins than Tennessee has good wins or great wins or whatever. But if you strip all that away and just focus on if we were playing a basketball game tomorrow, who would win it, this team or that team? I don't think you can definitively say Tennessee wouldn't. No, but I mean, yeah, okay, let's like yeah. the very best teams in the country. They beat one of them and went to overtime with the other. No, let's just uh, just for just oh, let's have fun here, Paris. Just for a quick second, let's do rapid fire real quick. It's Tennessee. Let me say this. Let okay. me say this. Only three teams, unless I'm forgetting somebody, mm-hmm. so far this season have been ranked number one in the country. It's Kansas, it's Duke, and it's Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's played two of those three teams. They've beaten one and went to overtime with the other, and went to overtime with the other with Grant Williams fouled out. Yeah, no, they, I'm not. They, they, they've been terrific. Um, and you, I have every right to put them number one. And to Tennessee fans thinking that I'm going on an anti-Tennessee crusade, I'm, I'm not. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated because I sat with this man for an hour and listened to him tell me he wasn't going to put Tennessee number one. Okay? Now, real quick, rapid fire. Tennessee versus X on a neutral court, who would you take? So Tennessee versus Duke neutral, who would you take? I mean, I would probably take Duke, but I don't think life it's clear. depends on it. No, gun to your head, you got it. Just, 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 you're, you're taking Duke, Tennessee yes. versus Virginia on a neutral court. Who are you taking? I might really take for uh, Tennessee, but okay. I, but I, I, I know that Virginia would probably be favored in that game. Tennessee versus Gonzaga on a neutral court. Who are you taking? I seen that one, baby. I'm taking a Vols. Okay, fair, totally. Tennessee versus Kansas on a neutral court. Who are you taking? Right now, I'm taking Tennessee. All right, so but you so you flip it because we have seen that and we we saw how that went as well. But Can- that was with Ike Diago. I mean, Ike Diago who did not play in that game. <laughs> that was with Yudoki as a boogie. Yeah. Uh, and last one, just out of curiosity, Tennessee versus Nevada on a neutral. Who are you taking? That's tough. I. It's tough. I think that's a complete toss up. No, you literally have to take someone for the purpose uh, of the exercise. Uh, but, well, but in the spirit of trying to defend the top 25 and one, I'll say Tennessee. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, and I didn't even get to Michigan, did I? So Tennessee, Michigan on a neutral? I'm also taking Tennessee. I, I think you are, uh, are playing into some confirmation bias at this point. But that's fine. Vols uh, should be number one in the polls update on Monday. It will be a very Merry Christmas Eve for UT fans, and this is a great moment for them. And 
and, and a great moment in particular because I remember mentioning, I think on the last podcast, I said Tennessee was going to go dormant on the pod until uh, we got into 2019 just because it, it doesn't play a lot and it's got Tennessee Tech next and then a home game against Georgia. So, hey, mea culpa, I was wrong. We, we lead with the Vols. They should be number one on Monday. They are number one with Parrish. I can tell you for sure they will not be number one when my power rankings update on Thursday, but they will be very graciously placed. And so, yeah, a good weekend for Tennessee, which, you know, just throttled Wake Forest expectedly. And now we'll uh, we'll move up and make some uh, some school history. Um, I should clarify, I, I don't actually think Tennessee is going to be number one in the AP poll. Oh, my, might it be Duke? Am I? Am, am I tw- pro- okay. Duke was higher in the AP poll right now on Sunday night. So this is based on last week. Duke's two, Tennessee's three. And then Duke did go out and beat uh, Texas Tech this week. You're right. They'll be one. So, yeah, I I think Duke will be number one. I think Tennessee will be number two, and then we'll see how far Kansas um, actually slides. But I got Tennessee one in the top 25 and one for better and worse. I think I can defend it. But, and this is what I wrote, Um, I, I think there are, and this is unusual for, I don't know, the week of Christmas. But there are six teams right now that I believe can reasonably be voted number one in the AP poll. It's Duke, Kansas, Michigan, Nevada, Tennessee, and Virginia. Because even though Kansas just lost, if you just if you don't care when the loss has happened, and you just say, okay, they're sitting here, I think Kansas is maybe um, 10 and 1. Like, if you just look at body of work, Kansas's body of work is still right there with anybody's. Mm-hmm. But those six teams should be the top six in the AP poll, in some order, and I really do think they could go in almost any any order. Um, so I know that the computers like Duke significantly more than they like anybody else. At least Ken Palm likes Duke significantly more than it likes anybody else, and the reasons are obvious. They've got three probable top five picks, four likely first-round picks, but I do think there's six teams that could reasonably get votes, number one votes, uh, in the AP poll. So I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. Um, tomorrow afternoon Kentucky beat North Carolina to get its first quality win we're going to talk about that next but first check this out my name is Connor Tapp and I'm here with Trey Scott my co-host on the college football daily a podcast from 24 7 sports dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news Every Monday through Friday, from here to eternity, we are adding depth and context to the biggest headlines in college football. But we're also diving deep into topics like the Iowa Hawkeyes' secret sauce for developing NFL linemen and what the era of big money conference TV networks means for schools like Boise State. So if you share our point of view that college football has no offseason, subscribe to the College Football Daily now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So, like I said, Kentucky beat North Carolina on Saturday in the CBS Sports Classic. Final score was 80-72. Kelton Johnson got 23 points. And then the guy I thought was really the star, Ashton Hagens, seven steals, three blocks. Real difference maker on the defensive end of the court. So, Kentucky avoids dropping to 0-3 away from Rupp Arena and also 0-3 against top 90 Ken Palm teams heading into Saturday's game with Louisville. Norlander, you were sitting right there with me. How big of a win was that for John Calipari's Wildcats? Uh... Big, significant, unquestionably, and not just because it got a win, but perished to me the way that it was able to win. Um, the Kentucky that we saw up close and personal on Saturday looked a lot like the Kentucky I thought we would see um, against Duke <laughs> and to a certain extent against Seton Hall. And hopefully we'll see it against Louisville because when it's able to 
be that effective in so many ways. It's not just Keldon Johnson having 23 points and Ashton Hagens, who at the end of the game was credited with seven steals, and then Kentucky actually, um, I don't think they protested, but they said, hey, listen, according to our stats, we he had eight steals, not seven, and he didn't indeed get officially credited with an eight-steal game. Don't know how often you get a freshman particularly in a major conference, getting eight steals against a fellow major conference team. I would think that's a that's a rarity. Um, Higgins isn't going to do a ton offensively for this team, but defensively he is so critical. Uh, very impressive there. Um, Carolina just did not – it does not have the size to deal with the bigs that Kentucky has. Reed Travis – I think it was the second time I've seen him in person. I feel like I saw him when Stanford played at, like, Barclays or something. I might be totally making that up, but I thought I'd seen him play in person. But, dude, is just huge. Like, dude, when, I, like the first thing I noticed is because I saw him at Champions Classic, but I saw him from our media seats at Champions Classic, which aren't court level. Right. At the Saturday, yesterday, at United Center, we are on the court, right under, right under goal. He's big. I mean, just thick. That's the first thing I noticed when I said, damn, my God, Reed Travis is huge. <laughs> I, I, I was pretty much on a similar wavelength there, um, <laughs> So, uh, which, which made a difference. Like, no question about it. Uh, talked with the UNC staff afterward and, and mentioned just like they just didn't have the size to compete with him. Just did not. And UNC has its problems defensively overall. But in the paint, if it's, if it's dealing with like two real bigs, then, yeah, it's going to be a huge problem. Tyler Hero had a really good game. So you, you saw a lot there with Kentucky that has to be morale boosting for the team, for the fan base in general. And, and, and they did it. And it wasn't even like they were, they were hitting their peaks. Like they went 9 of 26 from three-point range. They weren't even 50% from two-point range in that game. But they did enough. They really were able to control the boards. North Carolina was totally inefficient on the offensive end in that regard. So, yeah, it's good. And as you wrote, like, you lose that game, and then you got Louisville on the road, and it's just it, it kind of is panic time at that point. Um, and who knows, maybe Louisville wins. I actually think it was it will be tougher to beat Louisville on the road, even though Louisville isn't as good as UNC, versus beating Carolina the way Kentucky did on a neutral with obviously a very favorable home crowd-type contingent behind them. Big Blue Nation, you did well for yourself. Um, absolutely. I saw you out in full force. I even had breakfast uh, the morning of the game, and plenty of Kentucky fans, a few of them came up and said, uh, said hey, which was, which was nice and kind. And I said, i got to be honest, I'm feeling really, really good about your team. I'm not just saying that. Um, I think you've got a really good chance to win, and sure enough, that wound up happening. So that's very big for Kentucky. Uh, do you ha- I don't think you had them ranked, obviously, prior to this. Did you jump them back into your, to your top 25 and one? I did. I mean, there was no way to keep them out at this point because they've got the quality win. The one bad loss. I mean, listen, the loss to Duke was bad, but it was just, it, you know, it's just a loss to Duke. Um, every, a lot of people, most people are going to lose to Duke. Um, the, the one bad loss beyond that is the neutral court to Seton Hall. But Seton Hall got a big win this weekend. And that one was in overtime. It very obviously could have gone either way. So I did put Kentucky back into the top 25 and one. They're at 18 right now. Okay, yeah, that's that's. I think that's pretty fair. Now, where is Carolina? Nineteen. I put them yeah. right behind. Yeah. All right. That's that's. I think you have to do it at this point. Carolina is still really good. They're the best three loss team in, in college basketball, but they they've got their uh they've got their problems overall. But 
it was it was refreshing to see Kentucky play the way that it did. Um, Cal was happy in the post game. He also looked ready to to go celebrate Christmas. Not like just like if you looked and like shirt was untucked, talking about you know it's never easy, which is is kind of a boilerplate boilerplate point GP, but it's also true. Um, he just mentioned how we there's just been struggles different points of the season, early late doesn't matter what kind of teams, Final Four teams. It's just there's always something, and it's just a continually. Uh, you know, it's a continuing theme with Kentucky year after year, but they get this one, and wow, things will really change perspective-wise if they're actually able to go in and beat Louisville. We'll obviously preview that one on the Friday pod. A few things here. I'll bounce around a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Ashton Hagens. I didn't realize they'd given him another steal, so that's eight steals for him in that game, and that is one of the stats, and I know you'll know this, but a casual college basketball observer might not. Um, that's one of the stats NBA people really pay attention to, uh, steals and deflections. Um, it says something of, like for whatever reason that translates to the NBA. Like if you are somebody that gets a lot of deflections, gets a lot of steals, or if you're somebody who doesn't, it, it matters to them in a real way. That's the type of thing that can get you drafted if you've got great numbers in that very specific area. And whether you look at the box score or you just watch the game, um, it was clear, you know, Ashton Higgins wasn't out there scoring, but he he was making a difference. There was a point where Carolina cuts it 66-60 with around six, seven minutes to go, right? And Kentucky, we should say, like, controlled the game from start to finish. It, it, it was yes. never, like, I, I'm, I'm sure, I guess they probably trailed at some point, but, like, for the most part, they, they controlled the game from early in the first half to the final buzzer. But Carolina does at some point cut it to 66-60, and... And, and, and Hagens gets a steal, and it results in a P.J. Washington three-pointer. So now, boom, 69-60. Carolina gets the ball. He gets another steal, turns that into a layup. In a span of, like, 29 seconds, it goes from 66-60 to 71-60. And it, the, it was the byproduct of two North Carolina turnovers that Ashton Hagens created. So he was super impressive. And if they can get him to – just make plays when he can make plays, but be disruptive on the defensive end, um, then, then they've tapped into something something real nice. One of the things I've consistently said in recent weeks about Kentucky is, you know, we could talk all offseason about having four or five-star freshmen, but unless they play like five-star freshmen, it doesn't really matter. Uh, throughout most of the season so far, they've had one of their four four-star freshmen playing like a uh, one of their four five-star freshmen playing like a five-star freshman. That was Kelton Johnson. Ashton Hagens looks like he's on his way, and uh, that's obviously good things for 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 Kentucky. Uh, for whatever it's worth, um, because you mentioned you talked to some Kentucky fans pregame and told them you were feeling good about the team um, at the Champions Classic. So I was at Kentucky's first game this season and at Kentucky's most recent game this season. And at the Champions Classic, I bumped into somebody on staff at Kentucky pregame. And I said, uh, I, I said, all right, I got you guys number one. Like, don't let me down. You know, just like, sort of joking around. And the guy said, you should have called me. And I said, what? He said, you should have called me before you put us number one. <laughs> and I thought that was – and then I didn't expect him to go out and lose by 34. <laughs> and, but, then, and then that happened, yeah. <laughs> and then that happened. But, but they knew. Like, we're not there yet. Like, we aren't, we aren't ready for this. And they knew. The staff knew. All right. Um, so fast forward to this past Saturday, bump into the same person <laughs> before the game. And I said, uh, I said, all right, how you feeling about your team now? 
And he said, a lot better than I felt before I talked to you in Indianapolis. And I said, for real, like, are you guys making progress? Because it's always hard to tell when you're playing bye games. He said, we're, we're, we're in a different place now. We're, in a, we're, we're, we're a different team right now. And then they go out and beat North Carolina. So um, my point is, this isn't a deal where, you know, Kentucky just came out and happened to win a game. And it may or may not mean something. They, they think they're getting better. They think they're a better team right now. And it certainly looked that way on Saturday. It did, and real quick on the Hagen stuff too, because he had a he had a quick uh, ankle thing, and you know, in the moment I think it was just like, oh, is he is he out for the game? How bad is this? He comes back in and still is effective, and that those steals uh, were absolutely the moment. I thought I thought the PJ Washington three that you mentioned that was just that that to me that was a clincher. Like when that went down, I was like, yeah, this is done. Like Kentucky's gonna win. They're gonna get this. Uh, they're gonna get this. You know, conquered. So yeah. Um, and I guess I, I want to see how they respond to a win like this. And, again, we will get more into that on the Friday podcast, but I just want to see how they go from this. What team will we see walk into the Yum Center on Saturday? How will they perform against a Louisville team that Kentucky is better than? But I don't I, I don't know how big the gap is when it's going to be in a road environment. Um, as for UNC, don't know if you have too much uh, of a takeaway on them at this point or not, Parrish. Uh, they're good. They are a bit mysterious in, in that – they're going to lose more games because I, I just think they're just not going to be able to outscore some some people. Like they, Gonzaga put up 90 because Gonzaga's good on offense, but UNC won that game because they are so good on offense. Like They just simply outscored Gonzaga. If you were really going to boil that down, um, and what, what's, what's interesting is they're probably going to have to do it again on Saturday. They play Davidson at home. So for a team that's got a lot of problems defensively, you really don't have to go up against a Bob McKillop offense because if you talk to any coaches, as, as Parrish has and, and I have, particularly in, in Davidson's league, uh, prepping for that game and, and, and the scouting and the, and the walkthroughs, it, it just can be a little bit of a nightmare because of stuff they're going to throw at you. Uh, in the case of many teams, you won't see another team like it the whole year. So Roy Williams mentioned that he's, he's like, I hope everyone has a good Christmas because I know I'm not going to. And that wasn't just because of the loss to Kentucky, but he knows now he's got to turn around and play Davidson, which has defeated Carolina in recent seasons. So just keep an eye on that. And then Nasir Little, we talked about him on CBS Sports HQ and hit after the game. I believe you can find that, um, that recap, that video on the site or on the CBS Sports app if you want. Uh, he continues to come off the bench. You know, Roy told me on Friday he's the best athlete I've ever coached, which is not a, that like that's. I don't feel like Roy just tosses out that kind of stuff willy nilly. So I I think that's a pretty high compliment. But from a basketball standpoint, Parrish, he's just not there. Like he was not well coached before getting to college. I think he's still learning, and he even made like a couple bad plays early. You could just. You could tell, like, sometimes it's weird to see an athlete like that, and you just say, like, yeah, I just can't be on the floor in this game at this moment. And it was, it is the case there. I do think he's got to get a lot better if Carolina is really going to be a Final Four contender. But I think overall, collectively, the defense is a bigger issue than the stuff with, with Nasir Little, which I think is driving a lot more of the conversation and obviously some speculation. Yeah, it was interesting because um, Jeff Goodman asked Roy about Nasir after the game. And Roy clearly wanted to use that as an opportunity to discuss something that had been written within the past week. Um, my understanding is that it was a bleacher report report, yeah. um, or column. And I, I remember seeing it in passing, but I did not read it. But And I hope I'm not mischaracterizing it, but this is the way it was described to me. Um, is that it suggested that Roy was holding Nasir Little back. Um in theory, to get him, you know, to, to make it where he can't leave for the NBA. And this is something that people have said before. 
about specifically about Roy, like that he doesn't like his freshmen to flourish because, you know, if you if they don't flourish as freshmen, you can keep them around. Well, well, first off, I would just say that's not true. Like, it, you, you don't have to be a great freshman basketball player to enter the NBA draft. Like, Nasir Little can actually play the same role he's playing for the rest of the season, and I'm not sure that he will, but he could still enter the draft, and he'd be a lottery pick. So there is no such thing as holding Nasir Little back. I mean, you can you can limit his minutes, bring him off the bench, but you ain't keeping him out of the lottery. Roy Mar- Williams yeah. doesn't have that kind of power. Marvin Williams was the number two pick parish, and he came off the bench. Exactly, so, right? Yeah. The NBA people do not care about this stuff. Like, if you are a projected top five pick coming out of high school, if your freshman year goes well, you're probably at worst going to be a lottery pick. If it doesn't go well, you're probably at worst going to be a lottery pick because they're going to think that your coach, and there are exceptions to this, Scalabissier being one, of course. He went late first round. But they're going to assume that your coach didn't use you the right way because often college coaches don't use uh, one-and-done NBA, uh, NBA prospects the, the right way. I mean, I love Tom Izzo as much as anybody. Uh, watching Jaron Jackson play every night, it is clear they did not use him the right way at Michigan State. He's having a better season with the Grizzlies as a 19-year-old rookie than he had at Michigan State. And so sometimes, you know, coaches just don't use players in a way that maximizes who they are. So the NBA people don't care what Roy Williams is doing with Nasir Little. So the idea that he's holding him back, just it's – it'd be like if somebody wrote a column saying Gary Parrish is holding Nasir Little back. Like, I don't have that power. If Nasir Little wants to be a lottery pick, he's going to be that. There ain't nothing I can do about it. And there ain't nothing Roy Williams can do about it either. So – Roy's asked about this, or he's asked about Nasir, but then he he takes it in that direction because he clearly had been wanting to talk about this in a very public way. And he meant, you know, one of the things he said is, if I'm holding my freshman back, why am I playing Kobe as much as I'm playing Kobe? Why am I playing him 24 minutes a game, putting a ball in his hands? Like, I'm not holding anybody back. And what's interesting about this is Roy really has to to walk a tightrope because you don't want to just come out and say the truth. Because the truth is, he ain't good enough to play for us right now, Nasir Little. Because he's not. Uh, we talk about this all the time. There, there's a difference between a great player and a great prospect. Sometimes great prospects are also great players. That's Zion. That's R.J. Barrett. That was Darius Garland before he got hurt. But sometimes great prospects aren't great players. And right now, Nasir Little is not a great college basketball player. Beyond that, where do you want him to play? Like, what do you think he is? At the collegiate level, he's a 3-4. Well, guess who is the three at um, at, at Carolina for most of the minutes? Cam. Like Cameron Johnson, who's the leading scorer on the team. And then guess who's the four? First team preseason All-American, Luke May. So Roy's playing him behind both of them to try to get more minutes. Like he said that yesterday as well. But I think it's a little misleading when people say, Nasir Little's not playing at North Carolina without explaining why Nasir Little's not playing at North Carolina. Because he's got two incredibly productive seniors in front of him at the two positions he's equipped to play. Plus, he gets lost on defense all the time. So I'm not surprised he's not playing. I mean, if you take us back, I don't know. If you'd have asked me to really look at it in the preseason, I would have said, how's he going to get on the court with Cam Johnson and Luke May? But it it's not some conspiracy why Nasir Little's not playing. It's not Roy Williams trying to hold him back. Trust me, Roy Williams looks sick every time I've ever watched him lose a basketball game. He hates himself, hates his team. 
if he thought necessarily little could help him win basketball games, he'd be playing right now. But he's not better. He's not a better option than Cam Johnson right now. He's not a better option than Luke May right now. He's a better prospect than both, but he's not a better college basketball player than either. And that's why he only played 14 minutes on Saturday. Yep. You pretty much nailed all of it there. Um, I, I, I think it's probably going to get better with him. Uh, I think, but I, I don't know. I, I want to look up in a month, see where Caroline is, what its record is, how many minutes Little is getting, if he's able to crack into any sort of hybrid lineup. Um, it remains to be seen. But this is this is a very, uh, a very interesting topic within the UNC fan base and something that is uh, continually growing. And speaking of fan bases that are buzzing, um, the first game was UCLA-Ohio State. I don't have much on Ohio State Parish. I mean, they continue to – it's interesting because UCLA uh, has a lot of flaws, has a lot of youth. Ohio State's even younger, and it's lost one game, and it's had challenging games. Uh, Chris Holtman is doing a great job. One more win, and he'll have his best start in his career to start a season. But the story from that game is UCLA getting the 7-5, and then Steve Alford now becomes the, the highest-profile coach – whose job is very reasonably uh, up and doubt as we turn to 2019. There's no question. Uh, first on Ohio State, real quick, and there's nothing uh, really to expand on, but I do think it's interesting to point out. They, you know, Chris gets that job in June 2017. You know, weird time. Thad Mata gets fired, like, out of nowhere in a weird part of the calendar. So they lose uh, freshmen. You know, they, the, the reason Thad got fired when he got fired is because the athletic director had already decided one more bad year and we're going to have to make a change. And then they didn't add any impactful grad transfers. The recruiting class wasn't coming together. And the AD just said, okay, if after one year, after one more bad year, we're going to fire him. Well, it looks like there's no way we're not going to have another bad year. So might as well pull the trigger now and get on with it. That's what happened. So Chris gets that job. It's similar to the way he got the Butler job. You know, he inherited a team that wasn't supposed to be good, and then they were good. Like, go to the NCAA tournament. But then he loses five of the top seven scores off of that team. And so they're not supposed to be good this season. They were picked eighth in the preseason Big Ten poll. And right now they're 11-1, and one, and I've got them 12th in the top 25-1. and one. And so I, I think Chris has already probably proven himself, but is reinforcing it with this seat like he's just one of those guys that it, it's going to be like even when you don't think he's going to be good because of the roster in place don't rule it out because he has taken things that on paper don't look like they're supposed to be good and made them really good uh time and time again he did it at butler he's already done it at ohio state and he's doing it again right now at ohio state and i say all that um while acknowledging um this could go the wrong way on him once they get into the big 10 schedule I, i'm not just because I have Ohio State 12th right now doesn't mean I can't imagine looking up in February and seeing them not ranked anywhere. Like, the Big Ten is tough, and and they're probably not as good as their 11-1 record. Like, when I talked to Chris after the game yesterday, um, I said, are you surprised you're 11-1? And, and sometimes coaches just sort of talk around that. They'll just say, you know, you, know, you just never know. I've got a good group of kids. His answer was yes. Are you surprised you're 11-1? Yes. I did not think. I, he, he said, I'm not the guy who goes down the schedule and says, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win, that's a loss, that's a win, that's a loss. But am I surprised I'm 11-1? Yes, I'm surprised I'm 11-1. And so they might not be as good as their record, 
but they're eleven and one with some um, some really good wins. Most notably, that win at Cincinnati uh, very early in the season. Um, he's he's got a good thing going in, in Ohio State. Uh, seems you know it, it can be sometimes hard to replace a super successful coach with another super successful coach, but Ohio State seems like they've done it, replacing Chris with uh, replacing Thad Mata with Chris Holtman uh, to UCLA because you're exactly right. That's the more interesting story, and that's the one you wrote about. Um, they're now seven and five. They're on a three-game losing streak, and Steve was asked about. I think it was Myron Metcalf asked him about his future yesterday or being on the so-called hot seat, and he had an interesting answer that I know you wrote about. Uh, he did. And I, I'll, before I get to that, I'll preface by saying he. Uh, you know, maybe it's because we're still early in the season, and you know who knows how Alfred's taking this behind the scenes and personally and behind closed doors, but. He was not as agitated by Myron's question as I thought he would be. And when I talked to Steve on Friday after practice, he was, uh, I would say, he and his team actually looked to be in relatively good spirit considering where they are at this point in the season. Um, but he, it was the last question of the press conference. Um, and Myron just said, you know, listen, fans are fans are going to have their opinions on this. And after 7-5 start, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, can you comment on uh, some of the uneasiness around, around your job right now? And... He said, you know, I, I'm quoting here, you know, um, I just do my job as well as I, can, I possibly can. That's what I do every day. I'm a man of God, so I've got an audience of one, and I show up, show up every day, work as hard as I can for my guys. And at the end of the day, if I know that I prepared and worked hard, then that's what matters to me. He goes on to say, you know, I'm not happy. I don't, I'm not happy with our losses. I, I'm not trying to make excuses. We do have a young group, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I use the I'm a man of God. I have an audience of one to, uh, to tease my column. I knew what I was doing and doing that on, uh, on the tweet machine. Um, it's, it's possible that God might not be satisfied with the state of UCLA basketball at this point. Um, but I get it what Alfred's, what he's saying there, but I, the writing might not be on the wall, but the, the cap is off the pen at this point. And given how bad the PAC 12 is, even if UCLA goes 14 and four in the league, maybe, I guess 14 and four would maybe be enough to get into the tournament if they don't get the auto bid out of the, out of the, out of the conference tournament. But um, it just never ends well with UCLA coaches. And this is sort of a, a, a bigger, broader point that I think one of us will inevitably wind up writing about uh, in a column at some point. But I mentioned it in mine over the weekend. Um, UCLA fans, there there's a small, passionate bunch about them. It's, it's, it's hoops royalty. And at the same time, it's not the first, second, third, fourth, maybe even fifth most important uh, sport program topic in that city. It registers better nationally than it does locally. And no coach is able to end there either by resignation, through firing, through promotion, through retirement, whatever. You haven't had one that has been a satisfactory ending since Wooden left. And even that on a certain level wasn't satisfactory because it came unexpectedly. I think he mentioned that he was doing it at the final four. He was like, Hey, by the way, peace out in about 48 hours here. So Alfred now at seven and five, if you're making me say, will he have this job or not come April one, I will say no, I don't think it's a hundred percent guaranteed, but it's, it's just looking increasingly likely they, you cannot lose all these games that they lost and have such little ground to gain in a bad league. Yeah. I mean, and we've talked about this before and we will talk about it again, but He's just in a tough spot now, and it's sort of crazy. I, and I'm not saying it's crazy that UCLA fans should be upset. Like, feel however you want to feel. I'm tired of telling fans how they ought to feel. But 
it's like he's been there five years. He's gone to four NCAA tournaments, been to three Sweet 16s, and he just enrolled a top 10 recruiting class. Like that's, I mean, that that's not as good as Duke or Kentucky, but it's like pretty good. Like three Sweet 16s in five years? That's not, that, <laughs> yeah. you, you shouldn't take that for granted. Um, but, you know, the fans have never embraced him. Um, he was an unpopular hire. And, and perhaps this one would have gone like the same way, but I don't know if people realize, and I, I believe this is true, if they would have just waited a week, they could have hired Greg Marshall. Yeah, we've talked about that on the podcast in the past, which, yes, which was the case, but they didn't want to wait. And what makes, it even, wait, right. what makes it even weirder is when Alfred he, took the deal, he had just signed a 10-year contract. Like the, the, the acceleration of all that was just bizarre, and a lot of people, you and I both, we definitely panned the hire when it happened. We just didn't think it made sense. He had won, he had, he definitely had a sub-500 NCAA tournament record. New Mexico had just lost as a three-seed to a Harvard team that had never won an NCAA tournament game. So some of that gets lost all these years later, but you're, you're on the money. If they had been a little more patient, you'd get Greg Marshall. I don't know what UCLA is now. If Marshall has been there the past four and a half seasons, um, maybe it's not as good. I don't know. But if you're wondering about the what ifs and what could have been, you're hitting into a, you're right on the money with what you're getting out there. So how about this? I was out in LA during that time. Greg had Wichita State on their way to the Final Four, the regional. Their their Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight game were those both those games were at Staples Center. And my understanding, if I'm remembering this correctly, and I don't know if this has ever been on the record, but who cares now? Um, they wanted to talk to Greg then, and he refused to talk to them until after the season was over. He said, I'll talk to you when the season's over. I'm not talking to you right now. And they just went and hired Steve Offord. If they'd have just waited a week, they could have hired I, – I, I'm sure Greg would today say I wouldn't have taken that job. He would have. He, he would have taken the UCLA job at that time. Mm-hmm. And so if they'd have waited a week, they could have had him, but they decided to go ahead and hire Offord. And here's the thing. I thought it was a bad hire. I wouldn't have done it. It's gone better than I thought it would, <laughs> and yet too. still not good enough. I know it's it's totally perish. It's fascinating because it, he gets a he gets really good recruiting classes, and then when you get that though, and you're seven and five, and you've got four top seventy prospects, two five stars, like it's gone well in in a lot of ways. But you know what? Never won the Pac-12 regular season, hasn't gotten to a Final Four. You're hired at UCLA to win national championships. That hasn't. They won one Pac-12 tournament title. I think that was the year two maybe you're one uh but UCLA fans just expect more and so many just weren't on board to begin with they flew banners over Los Angeles to, to have him fired Alfred obviously not obviously people not, might not remember this but he gave back some of his uh bonus in his contract for a year so I don't know where this is going he handled the question well um I thought it was going to be basically a three sentence answer and it turned out to be a three paragraph answer on Saturday and a lot of those quotes you can find in my column on the site um of the UCLA Alfred column but can't deny it heading into 2019 the potential for a blue blood program to open a job vacancy that will linger as one of the more significant storylines in the sport Yeah I mean that's the point I was making before I went into the Greg Marshall stuff is that the problem for for Steve isn't so much that he's seven and five and on a three game losing streak because UCLA could still come back and win the Pac-12. Now that probably says more about the Pac-12 than it says about UCLA but whatever. Um, His problem is that he was never embraced by the fans and um, you know they were they were literally flying banners above campus to fire him before Lonzo got there and when they when fans don't love you, they just don't love you. 
Like Tom Crean went through this at Indiana. The fans gave up on him, and then he came back and won an outright Big Ten title. And you would think, okay, well, that's settled now. Except it wasn't. Comes back literally the next year and has some injuries, and they're not good, and they fire him. And Steve's in that situation now. Once your fans, and we've talked about this before, once your fans turn on you, um, you're one bad season away from, from getting got. If if your school can afford to, to buy you out, and UCLA can, can afford it, and yeah, I, I think it's more likely than not. And I don't wish this. Like I, 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 I know Steve for a long time. I've you know I've talked to his family. I, I know his children. Nobody wishes this on anybody, but I do think as long as we're we're speaking honestly, it's probably more likely than not. You would agree with this that mm-hmm. that the job opens in March or April. Yeah, I I would agree with that. It, it, and if you look at a lot of the just the facts around what Alfred's done. Most places wouldn't fire a coach under those circumstances, but UCLA has just not operated in many ways like most other schools. Uh, so wait and see on that. Real quick, Parrish, well, I don't need you to, uh, to, to offer a thought on it, but I did, so, I did want to say this since I was in Chicago. Friday night, I went to the Oklahoma-Northwestern game. We'll dedicate, I would think, in the next week to two, uh, a little more time in Oklahoma. I believe Oklahoma has more, as they stand right now, quad one and quad two total victories than anyone in college basketball. If they don't have the mo- more than anyone, they're tied at the top of the list. They got a great overtime win. Good for them. We'll get to them uh, down the road. Northwestern lost a key opportunity, but that building got renovated. I never went to the old Welsh Ryan Arena. That is a tremendous arena. It is the perfect size, great sight lines, really cool environment. Um, obviously a huge upgrade from what it was. I just wanted to give that a quick shout out. The people at Northwestern are great. I, uh, lifelong Bears fan. I got to randomly meet Richard Dent after the game and talk to him for like 10, 15 minutes. That was surreal and terrific. So I thought that was a, that was a really cool thing. But if you are ever debating, you know, Evanston's a little bit north of Chicago. It's if you're, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a ride, but not too bad. But if you ever think you have the opportunity to go to a game and you're weighing it, go. It is a, I would, I would honestly rate it among the top 10 college basketball arenas I've been to just for how perfect the fit is with the school. It's not too big. It's not too tiny. Um, good stuff there overall. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Northwestern as we uh, obviously wrap up heading into, you know, it's almost Christmas Eve here as we wrap up the podcast. So, you know, any any, uh, any lingering thoughts on hoops or, or Christmas you'd like to provide, Parrish? I would say this, um, that uh, on my flight home from Chicago, I had to go to Atlanta so I'm flying from Chicago to Atlanta, and um, I'm, wor- I'm working on the podcast. I'm preparing for the podcast. So I've got a document open, and I'm you know, bullet pointing notes and that kind of stuff. And at some point, I take my headphones off, um, and the guy next to me goes, excuse me, um, where do you work? And I said, I work for, for CBS Sports. And he said, what's your name? And I told him my name. And he was a reader of the columns and a listener of the podcast. And he had been to that Northwestern Oklahoma game. That's why I was in Chicago. He went there. He had some connection to Northwestern. I'm not sure what it was exactly. But um, he had been there, and he said the arena was terrific. He echoed uh, your thoughts. His name's Adam Brown. So shouts to Adam Brown. <laughs> shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember to please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. If you've already subscribed, thank you. It, it, it really does mean a lot. If you haven't, it only takes a few seconds. So uh, so please go do it if you've, got a, if you've got a moment. You're probably off work tomorrow, Christmas Eve or Christmas. So uh, step away from your family. 
I know people tell you all the time to, to make sure you, you spend these days with your families. Um, I say that's mostly true, but step away from your family for a few minutes and go subscribe to the Eye on College Basketball podcast. In all seriousness, thank you guys for hanging out with us uh, over the past year, two years, three years, however long you've been doing it. And, uh, you know, if you're celebrating Christmas, uh, I hope you have a lovely time, and we will be back here with you uh, on Wednesday. Till then, take care.